Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing, the podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! Oh! Oh, man, Lucas, it's time to digivolve, baby. Ah! Okay, that's the that's the phrase, right? I, I've never seen Digimon. Ever. I don't know if that's like so. the f- go-to phrase, but it's like one of the several they might use when it's time to digivolve. Is It's time to digivolve. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to catch us up, man. You uh, you got the movie. Yes, so I uh, for those that may have missed one of our episodes, I had ordered a... <laughs> I have I had ordered a um, Digimon movie, the 2000s Digimon movie um, that came and it came and it was great. I paid 45 bucks for a movie that came out in the year 2000 on DVD. Love it's it. neither here nor there. I love that movie. Um, and yeah, for those that aren't familiar, the Digimon movie is kind of like clowned on the American Digimon movie, but I fucking love it. I think it actually has incredible humor that still works today. Am I blinded by nostalgia? Maybe, but I love it. Uh, and I watched it the other night for the first time in years, and it was still so fucking good. Uh, the jokes are still funny. It has like this really incredible kind of like just dry humor at certain points that are is just is just great, and I love it. And yeah, it, it was fun to kind of go back into my childhood. I definitely want to do a movie night with you at some point, Lucas, and expose you to the greatness. Um, and it was fun too because it was actually a sealed, uh, unbroken copy, uh, sealed, yeah, a sealed copy of an original like disc so came with a movie poster <laughs> that's awesome um and yeah it was just um it was fun to to go back and relive my my early years a little bit love it dude love it yeah. it's been a good a uh, good couple weeks for you then it uh, has first, yeah you know, got over covid yeah. uh got yeah. digimon and i uh, got the poster yeah but getting back in the gym getting back in like the sauna which if you, all y'all don't sauna highly recommend it i reworked my diet a little bit actually that um nice and uh, this isn't Me a fitness too. podcast but i um i'm noticing that and i want to be clear when i go into this i'm not trying to be like anti-carb um in case any of that what i'm about to say comes off is that i believe carbs are important um but i've noticed when i've been eating very heavy grains as carbs so like bread rice potatoes whatever it may be um during the day, I get very tired, especially because I usually fast for the first few hours of the day. I'm usually not eating till like 11 or noon. Um, and usually I'd have like a big meal with like rice, some sort of protein and like, you know, whatever, um, or like a potato and some sort of protein with it. And I'd always be like super tired afterwards. Um, and today I switched it up a little bit. Um, I had some, some grass fed ground beef, 93.7. I had zoodles. Um, and then I had an avocado in there. Nice. And some mushrooms. And I was going to have a fucking sauerkraut, <laughs> but I couldn't get the goddamn couldn't jar Couldn't get the open. jar open. I know you texted me that. So, I couldn't. I'm blown away by that one, man. Um, so what that happened? was a little I, I just I couldn't get it open. I don't know what it is. I'm going to try running it under some hot water tomorrow and try it again tomorrow. But um, yeah, and it was good. And um, so my, my new strategy for better energy throughout the day um, because I think whatever reason grains make me tired. So all my carbs before like nighttime, before I go to the gym are going to come from fruit because I still had a big fruit smoothie and then nighttime, like for dinner today, I had like a big shrimp burrito bowl that I made, um, which was really good. It had like rice and shit in it. So nice. You know, I, I highly encourage anyone. If you find, you know, you're not as energized as you like to be. Don't be afraid to play around with your diet a bit. 
Um, I'm not saying what worked for me will work for you. Everyone's, I, I, I'm a very big advocate that nutrition, like anything health related, is very unique to each person. Some people respond better to one thing and some people might respond better to another it's like building blocks you know we got to fit together everyone might have a different piece that fits together one way or another such a Um, good segue (laughs) and that's why today i want to talk well lucas wants to talk about i'll give some color commentary on tetris that's right that's right uh man that was a it's one of my better ones i was gonna like talk about something else i was gonna keep talking about health stuff but now we're jumping right into uh tetris the uh Greatest puzzle game ever made, uh, and one of the highest selling games ever just recently became not the highest selling game ever uh, after being uh, overrun by Minecraft. So uh, a little bit of a fun factoid there at the very front of the podcast. Question though, is, uh, like really... what version of Tetris are they like? So we're talking about Tetris. We're talking about the overall everything Tetris. Yeah. So, isn't there, that seems kind of like cheating because there's like a million versions of Tetris. Well, right? there's, it, you my, my flip there's, phone had Tetris. And, and you could <laughs> argue that there are multiple versions of, let's say, like Minecraft, right? So it's like when you get to the different versions of games, it starts becoming like a little dicey pretty much no matter what game you're talking about. I mean, World of Warcraft, let's say it's the most played MMO, but like, what time are you talking about? What expansion are you talking about? Are you talking about private servers as well? Are you talking about peak players, ownership, people buying the game? I mean, it just becomes like a dicey thing. The metric I saw was purely off of sold copies of any Tetris video game. That feels like bullshit because the person that buys Tetris DS or fucking Tetris um, 99 on the switch is totally different and different age demographic than the person that bought Tetris plus on the PlayStation one. When that came out, it's kind of like what uh, Rockstar's doing with uh, fucking Auto five. Just keep well, releasing it. <laughs> Tetris is a, a, a pretty, it's a pretty unique model in terms of like how it's actually like copyrighted and everything. So Tetris is actually just owned by one central company called the Tetris company. You can go to Tetris.com. You could read about them. You know, it's actually owned by the original creator of Tetris, which is really cool. That's a whole story we'll get into. And every single version of Tetris that you or I play is licensed through the Tetris company, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're playing the PlayStation version of it, uh, yeah, it had to go through a license to the Tetris company. If you're playing it on the DS, if you're playing it on the Switch, it is all run through the Tetris company. Uh, Tetris, there's literally hundreds of versions of Tetris games, not only official licensed games, but versions of Tetris that are fan-made, browser-based, flash-based. Virtually every platform or console has had a version of Tetris since 1988. Um, Old-school computers, Apple, IBM machines, uh, DS, Game Boy, iTouch, iPod, iPhones, uh, Switch, PlayStation, NES, SNES, every single electronic, consumer electronic device has a version of Tetris you can run, uh, which is insane, which is absolutely insane. It's like the most ubiquitous, still operating like piece of, you know, conceptual, like concept of software, right? It's not the same piece of software, but it's the same concept across every single yeah. device. It's interesting too, because... You know, it's like Tetris is to video games as like, I don't know, like water is to the Earth. world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, like it's just you know that Tetris is a video game. Maybe you don't play video games. You've heard of Tetris because it's probably on your flip phone in middle school. 
when because that's what we had in, in middle school because I guess Lucas and I get into yeah, that age. Razors. <laughs> <laughs> Motorola's razors, yeah. I had I had the Sprint Katana. I was a we had, oh, you we, did? Were a, we oh. were a Sprint family growing up, and I thought the Katana was so much cooler than the razor. I'll just say I didn't even feel bad that I was different. I, was I like, remember this one's better. I remember yeah. they had a different like carriers had different versions of phone. Oh, that's so that's such a weird time, dude. Yeah, it was uh. like how that is interesting because now it's just all oh you have the iPhone on T-Mobile or AT and T or whatever. Now it's. Remember yeah. AT&T <laughs> got the iPhone first. It was like a huge deal for AT&T people like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can have the iPhone. You know, iPhone's only available on AT&T. And then like yeah. eventually Verizon got it. That was a big deal. Oh, and, and Verizon had a droid, which was like a premier Android phone at the time. But you couldn't get the droid on other carriers. Uh, so, so God, I'm looking back at some of these photos right now and it just looks like um, <laughs> I look at these phones and it just looks like what they would use to um, like transform on fucking Power Rangers. <laughs> like, <laughs> forget what those things are called, but yeah, wow, what a what a fucking what a weird time throwback. You remember the Juke? Verizon had the Juke. The Juke was sick. The it juke was, was like tight, a, man. I had a buddy that had the, had the Juke. Kind of looks like a Tetris block, actually. It was just yeah, like a little, yeah, totally. Oh, looks like, like a eye. little like a USB stick almost. Yeah, super yeah, tiny. Totally. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I just got, we got, we got to jump back on a Tetris at some point. But, uh, yeah, well, we will talk about, you can about buy a juke on, oh no, it's a replica. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Ooh, you know what? Random idea for an episode, uh, flip phone games. There's probably a lot Ooh. of lost flip phone games that we probably can go down on the, the nostalgia trip for. That'd be, be fun. Pretty fun. Um, cause we have done mobile. I think we've done mobile gaming before, but flip phones, that'd be, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, all right. In terms of viewership on Twitch, uh, there is a uh, there's for those of you that don't know, there's a twitchmetrics.net, which you can look at uh, Twitch metrics online and just looked up uh, viewership of Tetris Twitch streamers as of August uh, 2022. Surprisingly, not as much as I thought there would be um, a few Twitch partners. Uh, Monthly Tetris and Classic Tetris have had a, a little over a thousand viewers uh, in the month of August. Um, and then uh, you do have a couple streamers, a partner who's JD MFX, who is a Tetris player, as well as a Game Scout uh, playing Tetris. However, Game Scout is not a partner. Um, so not a ton of peak viewership on Tetris. And in fact, as of a few hours ago, when I looked for Tetris being played live on Twitch, I actually couldn't find any channels that were streaming it. Um, but that top streamer right there is, interestingly enough, the classic Tetris stream channel or Twitch channel, uh, which is the number one body for competitive world championship Tetris uh, that throws a world championship every year in Portland, Oregon to decide who is the best grandmaster of Tetris in the world. Uh, Something about being in Portland just makes sense to me. Right? Doesn't it? Yeah. I just like, that's for sure like where the Tetris crowd is. It's been in Portland for like 10 years and it's a worldwide tournament, which is uh, really cool. Uh, so that's the CW, CTWC Classic Tetris World Championship held every year in Portland. Actually plays the NES version of the game along with other special variations, um, including Invisible Tetris, which I will get into uh, a little later in this in this episode. Um, and Matt, click on that Invisible Tetris uh, video link in the notes when you can, because I think it's going to blow your mind. Um, a great PC Mag article. I want to shout them out for uh, giving a lot of really great resources about the really wild world of Pro Tetris um, and sort of the insanity that goes along with the people that play it. 
Um, and also shout out to Game Historian who had an hour long YouTube episode on Tetris and its crazy history of being created. Um, I see your mind is being blown by invisible Tetris right now, right, Matt? <laughs> Isn't uh, it insane? Do you want to explain it for everyone? I'll, I'll explain it a little. I'm going to go into invisible Tetris okay. a little bit later, but I'll, it's, I'll we'll save that one. Yeah. yeah. I'm just blown away right now. I see your face is just like completely like short circuit. My short circuited as well when I first saw what the hell that was. Um, okay. But first we'll get into a little bit of the history here, um, including uh, who invented Tetris and where it was invented. Uh, interestingly enough, you gotta throw yourself back to 1984, Matt, okay? The world is locked in a cold war. The Soviet Union exists. Ronald Reagan is telling people to tear down the Berlin Wall, right? And in 1984, a researcher, a young student, uh, Alexei Pajitnov, really, really hope I didn't butcher that one, uh, is at the academy, the <laughs> is, is at a researcher at an academy for um, uh, Russian computer science, essentially. Uh, he's at this academy. He's got other cohorts. You know, he's got a cohort. He's got people his own age that he's working with to think about games and think about designing things on computers and programming on computers. And back then, Alexei was actually um, developing or researching on a voice recognition software that the KGB was trying to use to tap into people's phones. Because, uh, you know, you're in Soviet Russia. Naturally. You know, it's just crazy yeah. over there. Yeah. So uh, he was working on stuff like that. And uh, at night, Alexei and his other colleagues were trying to think of fun game ideas that you could put together on computers. And back then, you know, Apple was releasing some of their first hardware. IBM was around. This is kind of mid-80s computer software development. So kind of dirty, not really advanced, and uh, just, just, you know, not very glamorous, nothing like that. Uh, and Alexi, who was a very, very big fan of puzzle games as a child growing up, uh, was a huge fan of a geometry-based wooden puzzle block game uh, that is called Pentonimos. Uh, there's a lot of variations of this kind of game. You've probably seen it, Matt. It's basically like you have a, an empty wooden rectangle, like a 2D space, where you just place blocks on to try to get them to all fit together on that wooden block. Right. It's sort yeah. of like a just a fun puzzle game that you could do at home. Right. A ge geometry puzzle. And back then uh, in the Soviet Union, they were a little behind in terms of computer power. So Alexei and all of his fellow researchers had computers that were at least eight years old at the time. So they were operating on very, very slim resources. And Alexei uh, programmed a game that was just a wooden block puzzle. So you had shapes of blocks. They were five total shape, uh, five blocks long. So in Tetris, everything is four small blocks, made of four small blocks. But back then he had five. And what he found that was it was really easy to solve the puzzles. And once you did it once, it wasn't very fun, right? right. It's kind of like a wooden puzzle that you do now. You know, you solve it the one time, you kind of knock it out, you're done. Uh, and he was trying to figure out how to make it a little bit more interesting. And what he what he ended up trying was making the blocks fall on top of each other. So two things happen at this time. He decides to make the blocks fall on top of each other. And he decides to change the blocks from five blocks long to four blocks long, which reduces the permutation of blocks from, I believe, 13 to seven. Uh, geometry fans right now could uh, probably correct me on how many you get. But basically, if you have up to five blocks, then you could have, you know, 
X amount of permutations of shapes that you could have. But since Alexei lowered it to four due to the technical constraints of his oh, com computers, which were old for 1984, so you know right. they were very old, Yeah, uh, he gets seven unique Tetris blocks, and those are the blocks that we know and love today. Uh, he decides to make them fall, uh, which was fun at first to kind of just put together a cool little puzzle. Uh, and he really, he was thinking in terms of like, his pentonimo puzzles, you know, how to make everything fit congruently, squarely with no gaps. But obviously the gameplay doesn't last very long when you do that. So he adds one component just as an idea to make a completed line disappear. All of a sudden, this game is one of the most addicting the world opens things. Up. The world, yeah, yeah, the whole world opens up. Him and his fellow researchers are immediately like addicted to the game, can't stop playing it. They're playing it during work. And he's actually claiming that he's debugging a computer program while he's just playing his newly Tetris. invented game. <laughs> uh, the, the game comes from a combination of Tetra, meaning four, and Alexei's favorite sport, Tetris, or Tetris, tennis, giving us the name Tetris, right? Uh, the game was super popular amongst circles uh, and researchers. And, you know, back then they had floppy disks, and these floppy disks kind of floppy disks kind of made the rounds uh, all over Soviet the Soviet Union. And the game actually broke through the Iron, Iron Curtain um, and was distributed throughout Eastern Europe and then eventually through Western Europe, where publishing companies in England and the rest of Europe started taking notice of this really interesting game. Uh, and the really insane part, uh, probably one of the more crazier parts of this whole story of Tetris, is back then the Soviet Union did not have a concept of intellectual property. Any work that oh, anybody did. Every, it probably just was owned by the government, right? It was owned by the government. It was owned by Soviet Russia, right? Yeah. So Alexei Pajitnov did not own Tetris, even though he created it from whole cloth, right? The academy where he did research technically owned the game. Uh, so there was a lot of back and forth. Actually, the government was involved. Uh, a version of the game was attempted to be bought by English company Halibite in order to publish the game for a Western audience, translate it, um, up it onto modern machines, put it on IBM machines and graphically make it a lot better. However, Alexei Pajitnov did not have the right to sell the game to any publisher for any reason. Uh, so there's a lot of back and forth. It ended up uh, being this really intense situation where the leaders at the company that was trying to buy the game uh, actually had to go to Soviet Russia and convince them to let them publish the game for Western audiences, saying, if you backed out now, it would look make you guys look weak. And what we can do is we can publish this game as a Soviet Union export to show that you guys are innovative, to show that you guys actually have I love have how it really became cool a political thing. Yeah, it did. It really you, did. You shut this down, you look weak. You think so? you, want, you want Soviet Russia to look weak, huh? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> it's insane. I love it's that. Uh, su super interesting stuff there. And then what they ended up doing was when they poured it over for Western audiences in England, there was two markets. There was England and then there was the rest of America. And the modern uh, 1988 version that a lot of Americans were first exposed to, they really marketed and made it feel Russian. The packaging of the game, it actually says Tetris in Russian first and then <laughs> Tetris in English second. That's pretty funny. It's red packaging and even on some versions of the packaging has the communism sickle and hammer emblem, which is 
awesome. <laughs> so comrades are buying this game, right? Uh, the packaging is all red and has a like, I forget, you you might know that. I don't, you might know this, Matt. It's the building main like kind of skyline in Moscow, kind of the old school looking really cool build like Russian buildings that have like the like circular tops, sort of the, the historical buildings. Like what kind of building is it called? Or? I don't know what the names of the buildings are, but if you look up, if you look up Moscow skyline, you'll see those buildings. They were on the cover of Tetris. Uh, and even that version of Tetris the, the, that was the Kremlin. Is it the, is it just the Kremlin? Is that what I'm thinking of? It's just, the I, don't, Kremlin, right? I don't know if I'm thinking of the right building that you are. I mean, I'm thinking of like the iconic, like the, in the capital of Moscow. Like is that the circular, the like the buildings that kind of look like bulbs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Kremlin. Okay, that's not the Kremlin. No, I don't think okay, it that's is. Right. But I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it's so called. That was on that 1988 version of Tetris that was marketed to American audiences. Mm. And the marketing completely worked. I mean, it was a huge hit on all of the computer systems that you could buy the floppy disk with the cool packaging. People played it a lot. There was different variations. There was music. The music was like Russian orchestrate, orchestrated music. There was Russian buildings on the art of the game. They even had like references to uh, Sputnik in the game and Russian heroes and athletes even in the art of the game as well. So super interesting marketing ploy that totally worked. It was seen as a very exotic export of Russia and it was extremely like there was no hiding. If you played Tetris, you knew that it was from Soviet Russia. You know what I love is like, I'm looking at some gameplay of this now, um, level 19 and uh, you can see like all the buildings and everything. And they even have like a little like Russian dancing, dancing man that pops out. Um, <laughs> you, you just know that the CIA was looking at this like, it's a mind control program. Yeah. Just, like, <laughs> just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. And just I like, know, right. Nah, man, it's just Tetris. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the game throughout like the late eighties, early nineties gets a foothold in the Western world as well as throughout Soviet Russia. Um, a lot of things happen around this time, uh, in terms of Tetris and politically, uh, you know, the fall of the Soviet union happens. That's a kind of a, a big thing that happens around this time. Uh, the Berlin Wall falls, uh, the Iron Curtain falls, uh, and the rights of Tetris during this whole time are kind of moving hands a lot uh, and eventually go to a little device called the Game Boy. Uh, Nintendo takes interest in Tetris as a game that they could put on their new uh, handheld console, the Game Boy, uh, and it becomes the killer app for that system. Best-selling game on Game Boy, uh, was a huge cultural phenomenon. It was basically a Tetris machine back then. Um, I had the original Game Boy cartridge for Tetris growing up. It just was around. I saw it around. I've, you've seen it a lot. And uh, it's not any other variation name for Tetris. It's simply called Tetris, um, which I think is pretty, pretty badass. <laughs> uh, and then uh, 1996 rolls around, and the original creator of the game was actually able to maintain the copyright for Tetris, uh, he gets it back and uh, forms the Tetris company and is the primary rights owner to Tetris. So every game you or I play that is Tetris, whether so it's made wild. by Nintendo or Apple, they are paying the Tetris company for the right to make that game. How much do you think that costs? Dude, I don't know, but that it's generational nonstop wealth. I mean, there will yeah. never not be money coming in. Tetris, I mean, it's Tetris. Yeah, it's Tetris. So some... The family. It's always going to be a game made like every few years, you know? 
Oh yeah, or multiple m multiple yeah. games a year, you know. So it's it's gonna be insane. Uh, I mean that that is generational wealth forever, basically. Um, well, I'm glad the creator Alexei. I'm glad they didn't get like cucked. <laughs> Dude, I mean it's like a crazy miracle that he ended up getting the rights at all, considering that I mean the country that he made this in didn't even have a concept of intellectual property. Yeah, it's like, that's wild. and he still manages to get the intellectual property for this game. Uh, I guess, you know, we could thank the good old U.S. of A for uh, fighting all those proxy wars uh, throughout <laughs> the um, throughout the <laughs> uh, maybe not the best joke. But yeah, uh, anyway, he gets the uh, copyrights to Tetris and now he has the Tetris company. Uh, now, I went on this whole Tetris tangent here with the history of Tetris because I've actually recently been playing a little bit of Tetris 99. Uh, Matt, That's the BR version, right? It's the BR version of Tetris. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, what Tetris games have you played, Matt? Honestly, I never really gave Tetris too much time. I I played, as I mentioned earlier, I, I had um, on my <laughs> Katana, the phone I had growing up, the Sprint Katana. Um, that was like one of the free mobile games that it came with. So I actually played quite a bit of Tetris on that. Um, like that was always my go-to, you know, like between classes or whatever in middle school. Um, and honestly in high school, cause I didn't get a iPhone until like my junior year, I think. Um, isn't that a weird concept? Like just not having an iPhone or like a smartphone. I know. Cause I'm really glad that like our generation like lived through that, like transition. That's just like a, a interesting it's like we, have, um, we got some perspective, man. It's a very oh defining. God. It honestly is a very defining, like switch though because with how accessible everything is on like how good it looks on a social you know on a smartphone like uh, it really is kind of what started the social media craze and like totally you know no smartphone no no tiktok creators right no tfp tiktok oh yeah no TFP um TikTok. anyways so i played tetris on that a bit that yeah i'd play it like if i was in an arcade or something and it was there and then i think i played tetris 99 for like a day and gave up on it <laughs> as i just like putting time into it um it's not that I don't like Tetris. I mean, every time I've played Tetris, I definitely enjoy it, but it's never been something that I actively have sunk any time into, you know? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. You know who uh, is really good at uh, Tetris 99 actually is uh, Hot Mickey. He's pretty solid. Hot Mickey. Yeah. We were watching okay. him play like uh, randomly. I forget what we were doing, um, but Mickey came over. Katie was hanging out. We were playing some Tetris and then like, hey, Mickey, do you ever played Tetris 99? He was like, oh, yeah, I actually have I've won like a few like several games. I used to like, be pretty into this. And I was like, OK, here, you know, he took the controllers and he played. And watching someone play Tetris is so awesome, especially like something like Tetris 99, where like he's getting attacked and he has to counterattack and stuff. You like see the way someone's brain works when they're playing Tetris and you see like they see things that you don't see. You might yeah. see things that they don't see and like routes and stuff you could take and it's it's really really interesting to watch really like well played Tetris, um, especially when your homie doing it right in front of you. It's it's pretty <laughs> fun. Um, but uh, jumping into some of like the competitiveness, the mechanics of Tetris, right? We got the shapes, right? The shapes each have a name. You got the J, the L, the S, the Z, the I, the T, and the O. Okay, you know the shapes just instinctively. I mean, the J is sort of like a backwards L. The L is the L. Um, the S is sort of that one that um, there's two variations of that one. The S and the Z are inverses of each other. The I is the straight line piece. Uh, the T is the T, usually purple. 
Uh, and then the O is the solid four block, just the, the big, uh, usually yellow block for Tetris. Um, super interesting. I found a website called uh, The Hard Drop, uh, which is a Tetris wiki that has all sorts of different like resources on how to play Tetris, Tetris theory, Tetris concepts. And there is this massive, massive article just on Tetris openers. Uh, and the mechanics behind like opening, it's it's like chess level, like there's so many openers in Tetris. So the way randomization works in Tetris, there's two types of random. Uh, there's classic randomization and modern randomization. Uh, so the difference is classic randomization is true randomization. Uh, each one of those seven different pieces kind of spawns randomly and you just get to see what the next piece is, and then you can just drop it. Yes. Whereas the modern randomization is actually bag random, where one of those seven pieces will appear uh, and then in a, in a random order, and then the next seven pieces will appear in a random order, right? So you're guaranteed to get one of the seven within a sort of seven sequence of those pieces, if that makes sense. So it's sort of random, but it's it's weighted. You're still going to get the pieces you need when you need them. Uh, so that's the certain kind of modernization. That's why you can have all these sort of different openings. So there's a ton of openings here. Uh, you got the uh, TKI3 uh, Fonzie variation. You got the flat top variation, castle top variation. You got the early LJ piece variation, the DT Cannon, uh, the Pokeminos STD. Mr. Spins STD reversed, the Hetchy Spin, the Albatross, the number one, the Pelican, the, the C Spin, the Hummingbird, <laughs> the standard PC opener, the second perfect clear. Uh, it is. I mean, uh, I don't know any of. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't even wrap my head around openers. Like the level that people really think about this game. Uh, like for setups and stuff like that. It's like, oh, here's an opener that will be a perfect clear, which is a complete clear of the entire screen, which gets you a huge bonus points. Here's how you set that up with your opener. It is insane. It's a lot. Uh, so that that was a I fun little rabbit hole chess, to go down. I can barely play chess, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun little rabbit hole to go down. Um, and if you take into account classic randomization of Tetris, this is a pretty fun one. Can the game Tetris be played forever, Matt? Could it technically be oh. played forever? Um, and there's actually a math problem that has been solved. Um, and you know, in the 90s, when people started really playing Tetris more and thinking about Tetris, Tetris has become a part of you know numerous math yeah. sort of concepts. You know, as a packing problem or just general math uh, geometry problems and things like that. And miraculously. Tetris cannot be played forever when taken into account classic randomism. So given the randomness of pieces for the player, um, a perfectly stacked setup for an infinite amount of time is not statistically possible. Um, if a computer plays Tetris infinitely, it will eventually fail mm. since a hole will have to be created at some point due to the randomness of it all, right? So kind of follows the, uh, you ever heard of like the infinite monkey theorem before? No, what is that? So the infinite monkey theorem is if you gave a monkey a typewriter and an infinite amount of time, he would eventually write the complete works of Shakespeare. It's a thought oh, experiment, yeah. right? So a complete randomness over a long enough period of time will eventually yield an insanely like 
ridiculous uh, result. Crazy right? result, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, given given like infinite monkey theorem, I mean, in with applied to Tetris, everybody will always eventually fail at Tetris, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of a, a in, interesting existential like threat to us humans. Uh, even though it does feel like Tetris, like if you put it into a computer, it could theoretically play it forever perfectly. But um, I guess it's not actually theoretically possible, which is very, very interesting. I wonder how long it would take. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder as well. Um, yeah, super interesting stuff there. Uh, some other mechanics. Uh, I couldn't find when this was first introduced, but uh, holding a piece. So a pretty common mechanic in modern Tetris games is uh, holding a piece, if you if you get a piece, let's say you get an eye and you don't like that piece right now, you can hold on to it and recall it at a later time, mm -hmm. right? So that helps, uh, you know, give the player a little bit more agency over yeah. uh, the pieces that you're control. using. Yeah, a little bit more control there. Uh, you also got T-spins. Uh, T-spins are basically where you flip a T-piece into a spot on the board. Uh, there are numerous types of T-spins. Again, this is from harddrop.com. Uh, there's the air T-spin. The, uh, it, there's literally an alphab alphabetized like T-spin list here. PC, PC spin, parapet, uh, Fiddleworth, first, Flamingo, Fractal, the DC spin, the T-spin combo hybrid, uh, the WC plowshare, the XZ cannon. It is... The King sounds Crimson. like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. XYZ Cannon. It's like ridiculous. There's a there's a T-spin setup called the King Crimson. Like literally every single variation of Tetris has been solved for, and there is a like named variation for everything, which is so uh, insanely awesome. It's kind of stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a stressful game. It's a stressful game. Like I don't wanna like if I ever sat down and played Tetris in the past, it would just be all right, we're just going to dick around for a couple minutes and have a good time. Yeah. And, and now I'm going to be thinking, I need to find the Crimson Tide left 360 Nucleo spin. Oh, fuck. It's just, I don't even want to be thinking about all that. And and the fact that like really high level Tetris grandmasters could actually know and understand these setups in their head, at least probably most of the time. Intuitively, is yeah. pretty insane. Point. And, you know, kind of when you get a grasp probably on the bag randomness of modern Tetris games, you probably sort of understand like openers and can set yourself up very well long term. Like they're playing a com completely different game than you or I would play when we're playing Tetris. Yeah. Um, very interesting stuff. Uh, you do have a Tetris. This is pretty basic. This is clearing four lines at once, which is the maximum number of lines that you can clear at once. Um, you know, obviously done by building and then having one single slot where you drop an eyepiece and you clear four lines uh, at once. Uh, if you hold a, an eyepiece and then you get an eyepiece and you're built properly, you could actually have a double Tetris, which is a pretty hype. Um, you also have a perfect clear. This is where you clear every single line on the board and you have zero blocks remaining. Uh, you yes. get extra points for that, uh, which is I've never done a perfect clear before. I've done T-spins before. Um, obviously, holding pieces, double Tetrises, those are pretty standard when you're playing Tetris 99. But f perfect clears require full-on setups um, that you could probably learn about on harddrop.com. Yes. Um, the Tetris effect. Okay. Uh, like I said, Tetris has been studied uh, from a mathematical perspective, but also a psychological perspective, which is really cool. So... As the game has evolved and developed over time culturally, 
uh, people started saying like, hey, uh, you know, what is it about Tetris that really makes it so addicting? Uh, what is it that people love about Tetris? What can we learn about, you know, people that play a lot of Tetris? There's actually a psychological effect called the Tetris effect. Um, there's a psychological study of about 6,000 people talking about how, you know, how their brain really looks uh, when they've played the game. And what they've found is, you know, a lot of people that play a lot of Tetris, to no surprise, begin to see space in their world as packing problems, you know, uh, how to pack things, how to store things. They begin to start, you know, looking at their world in terms of you know, how to perfectly stack something, how to perfectly store something. And even seeing pieces of the game visually, either while they're falling asleep or throughout their just day-to-day -day thing in real life. Um, pretty interesting, you could look up more stuff on that. It actually is part of a broader category of game transfer phenomena, uh, which is the psychological effect of people taking um, certain concepts of video games and really evolving them into their own regular life, transferring it from the game to their real life. Hey man, I, I get that. I really do. You know, when I when I was at Target for a bit, I had to help um, pack the trucks at certain points. Um, we would, or wait, did we have to pack it or unpack it? No, we unpacked it. We we sometimes had to repack it though. I forget why. Um, and then it was just like this is Tetris, baby. Yeah, dude. You know, just making sure everything stacks well, and um, even getting everything out was just like Tetris, making sure you don't pull the wrong thing where everything falls. I guess maybe more like Jenga, but. Hey, real dude. quick, a shout out to the Target workers that work any really, I guess, retail, large retail department store worker that, you know, is in those trucks because, my God, that shit was awful. It's a tough job. I had such a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. Absolutely awful. Terrible job. Terrible, terrible job. But shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Yeah. Word two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are the earliest references to the idea of like, kind of what Tetris does to the brain came from a Jeffrey Goldsmith article from Wired back in uh, 1994. There's a quote from uh, Jeffrey Goldsmith said, uh, the Tetris effect is biochemical reductionist metaphor, if you will, for curiosity, invention, the creative urge to fit shapes together is to organize, to build, to make deals, to fix, to understand, to fold sheets. All of our mental activities are analogous each as potentially addictive as the next. Uh, obviously, a very, very deep way to uh, view Tetris, uh, even all the way back then. It's a little then, too intense for few, me. <laughs> even when the game was only a few years old. I mean, I think for people that really dedicate their lives to Tetris, they they probably do begin to view the game in very differently than you or I. Um, they probably view it as an analogy to what their life is, right? And like thinking about, you know, although Tetris is a packing problem, it's also like a sequencing problem. Right. It's also like um, Tetris also like puts people in a state of flow probably mm -hmm. more easily and more effectively than most video games can. Um, I know I get into a state of flow even when I play Tetris 99 for like you, know, you get to those later stages where you're not even thinking you're just playing fucking Tetris. It's like there's no other way to say it, you know, um, and I think for people, it's a really, really deep meditative thing. Um, so. Very, very deep stuff coming out. Yeah, there. I mean, I think that's kind of how it is with anyone that's a professional at something, right? I mean, you, whether you're a professional, um, you know, league player, a professional Tetris player, soccer player, basketball, football, whatever, you're going to intuitively understand it in a way that none of us ever could. And like when you're playing that, it's just going to be a totally different experience for that you would right. have than it would for anyone else. Totally, totally. And uh, just to kind of reiterate, 
sort of where where the grandmasters are, where the real good Tetris pros are. Uh, I want to touch. I want you know. I kind of end this with uh, Grandmaster. Wait, did so, we ever talk about Invisible Tetris? I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna hit that right now. Okay. Uh, so there is a Grandmaster rank in Tetris, uh, the Grandmaster Three, and the qualification is this: uh, you have to play this on uh, the ar- a Japanese arcade version of Tetris called, but um, made by the company Arika. Uh, and you play this particular version of Tetris and you do a few things here. You have to score at least one four-line Tetris every round. Every round is every 10 lines, okay? Clear every round no more than two seconds faster than the last round. Get to level 99 with an M9 grade, okay? So basically clear clear a 1,000 lines and have a good grade, which means do these crazy things like T-spins and setups and perfect clears and things like that. And you have to survive the credit sequence where the blocks turn invisible, which is basically the boss level for this Grandmaster rank. Invisible Tetris is the most insane thing I've ever seen in a video game, like ever. Like, you know, you watch a lot of really crazy stuff. You watch people play like Guitar Hero at a high level or, you know, rhythm games at a high level and you're blown away you watch people play smash or league at a high level i've never seen anything as outrageous as invisible tetris do you want to describe it real quick matt (laughs) so you know i pull up the youtube video lucas told me to look and i i look at what i'm assuming is just a glitched out tetris um tetris game and then i quickly realize Oh, it's literally invisible Tetris. So what we're looking at is a, you know, a Tetris grid like you would expect a game normally be played in. But as a block or as a block meets another block or wherever the base blocks are, then the game, the the block turns invisible in the game. And then you have nothing else to work off of other than your memory as best as you can. You do not see. You do do not not see see blocks you've already placed. Yeah, you see the block that you're placing, but you do not see it once it's been placed. It's completely invisible. I would last two seconds playing that. I don't even know where to start. Like, it is completely insane that people play that, and like they play it fast, and they play it like against each other too. So it's like you're sending lines at each other, or you're like trying to survive longer, and like they play that at the classic Tetris World Championship in Portland. So. I don't know, man. I'm just uh, like going down this rabbit hole a little bit and seeing that. I my jaw was on the floor when I saw. It. I, just yeah, like you, when you. It's saw. fun, you know, seeing all these different. Um, uh, you know, I mean, coming from you know the Smash Brothers community, which is a very niche community in its own right, it's very fun to see all these other niche communities and kind of see what they're all about and stuff. So I'm all for it. I yeah. think it's great, and I, I'm totally. glad stuff like this exists. I think it's important. And uh, I'll, I'll end on this too. Uh, so lo- I was looking at the uh, CTWC website uh, and looked at the 2021 final results. And uh, top eight, seven of the top eight Tetris players uh, at last year's Classic Tetris World Championship were American. Pretty cool. I think the Americans, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is because it's held in America, uh, but this is the largest like governing competitive body for Tetris. Uh, they're, you know, Americans tend to dominate the category, uh, you know, of the top 64 ish, you know, I do see some Canadian representation, uh, some French, there's a couple Japanese players here, a couple Mexican players too, as well. Uh, 
I'm seeing two or three Korean players on here as well, but overwhelmingly half are American and seven of the top eight are American, which is really cool. Yeah. So go America, being good at Tetris. Any, any Russians? Uh, I don't think so, funny enough. Dang, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a kind of a big oversight there. You guys set bit. the game up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, really cool. Everybody, that is uh, your broad overview of the history of Tetris, a few advanced mechanics, and sort of a little bit of a deep dive into the Grandmaster insanity and how good people really get at this game. Yes, love it, love it. All right, everyone. Um, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up here? I'm good. All righty. All right, everyone. Um, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at TFP Podcasts. That's at TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. We are really trying to amp up our social media presence. Um, so, you know, come hang out. It's a good time. You'll see me on Twitter every now and then on the TFP account. I'm kind of trying kind of try to go for like a, I don't know, like overly, like, um, like an existential Arby's type of thing, but I don't know. I'm trying to make the brand feel alive. It's a grind trying to grow a podcast, guys. I'm just going to say it. Lucas, it I is. love what we do. We want to grow it. Uh, but man, the, the grind is real sometimes. But yeah, come come check it out. It's a good time. Um, in the link tree and all that, you can find the link to our Discord. Uh, Discord's the best place to reach either myself or Lucas. Great place to hang out. Um, meet some of the other wonderful podcast community members. It's a good time. Uh, if you want to follow your good buddy Matt on Twitter, you can find me at Good Idea Matthew on Twitter. And uh, Lucas, where can the lovely people find you? Uh, easiest place to find me really is in our Discord server. Check it out there. Shoot me a DM. Uh, let's talk about video games. Uh, debate me, you know. Uh, disagree with uh, an opinion I have here for sure. Like, let me know. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Tetris 99, so we could talk about that. Been playing a lot of League. We could talk about that. Uh, and you can follow me on Instagram at GoodIdealLucas if you want to hit me up there. Love it. All right, everyone. This is Ben. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby Bop. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Real Call Bunch and Red Circle 